0: There are many things from which i have derived good but by which i have not profited and many things from which i have profited but from which i have lost countless hours though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket i believe christmas has done me good and will do me good but while the michael and us podcast has put some gold in my pocket and propelled me to the status of minor left twitter and film twitter crossover personality The time spent watching and analyzing direct-to-video conservative agitprop occupies horrendous hours every single week. But come, let us turn our eyes to Christmas Eve in the town of Toronto, where snow falls upon the firm of the Gore Lieberman Studios. The firm specialized in the Michael and Us podcast, and it was hosted by Ebenezer Savage. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, savage. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, kept him and those in his employ relentlessly online. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in his petty online beefs. To him, one day of presents under the tree seemed a poor substitute for a year of faves and retweets. Bah, humbug. The clock struck ten and the hour of shutting up the studio arrived. With an ill will, Savage dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted the fact to the expectant clerk. Merry Christmas, sir. I'll be off then.
1: You want all day tomorrow, I suppose? If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. You don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? You expect I should produce this content alone? Well, sir, it's Christmas. It's only once a year, sir. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. We're a business now. We have Patreon subs to satisfy. And furthermore, the internet does not stop just because Christmas is nigh. What will families listen to as they unwrap their presents.
0: But sir, my family, they're expecting me at Christmas, sir. You understand that I do this podcast after me day job. I'm tired of having fights with those who care for me because I'm busy watching Going Up River, The Long War of John Kerry with you. Don't be cross, sir. Let's have a Merry Christmas. Let me have a free weeknight.
1: Humbug, out upon Merry Christmas, What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? Why, leave our patrons deprived, Christmas comes and goes, but there's still online beefs to be had, bad takes to be dragged, rising Democratic Party stars to be mobilized against. We shall remain online!"
0: But then the cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and Savage heard the noise much louder, on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards the door, a ghostly visage appeared before his eyes. How now? What do you want of me? Who are you? Ooh, in life, I was Jeet G- here, legendary Twitter essayist. Apparition, you were always a good man of business. Business? Mankind is my business. The common welfare is my business, Ebenezer. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business, for no takes were more lukewarm than mine. My finger thrust pedantically aloft, it was I who proposed the Democrats run their own celebrity candidate in 2020. And yet I suffer most. For all my heroic journalism, I am deeply online. There be no man more online than I. Even now, though I appear before ye, I am online, for there is no escape. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. I tell you, you will be haunted by three spirits, each more terminally online than I. Eric Garland, a spirit of online's past, Nira Tandon, a spirit of online's present, and Pod Save America, the hot young liberals were changing the face of politics for the future. And as it said those words, the specter disappeared. And yet Ebenezer Savage did not heed his advice. He remains online. There's no escaping online. Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will slow <laughs> here as always with...
2: Luke Savage, hey guys. Happy secular, non-denominational holiday season to you all.
0: Good well, cheer all I'm around. keeping Christ and Christmas over here. Merry Christmas. And you know... You're probably one of those uh, liberal cucks who would, you know, have us remove all sense of Christ from the holidays. And and you're in that category, whereas me. But I'm very concerned about uh, how commercial the holiday has become and Mm. how how compromised it is. And we're getting far away from the true spirit of Christ. And uh, I'm hoping that perhaps, you know, we can settle my concerns sometime on the podcast tonight. If by some Christmas miracle a film could appear... (laughs) That could reassure me about this time of year, but you know, perhaps we'll get to that later. <laughs> this is the Christmas special of Mike and us. Are you excited for the holiday season? It's weird because I've already
2: kind of had my Christmas. I went back to Hamilton last weekend. Uh, I did high school, grade eleven and twelve. I did grade eleven and twelve in Hamilton, and my dad did like an Airbnb type of thing. I went back there, so I've already kind of done that. Going kind to of have a kind of a Christmas with my mom, although she doesn't really, she doesn't really do Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's coming up. But uh, I don't know. I'm I'm happy. The year's almost over. I think it's, like, been a good year for us both. Yeah, I'm actually just... Yeah, non-ironically, I'm kind of feeling good, actually, now, now since you asked. Do you like Christmas? I like Christmas. I actually kind of do, yeah. yeah I, I like, I like um, the time of year. It is partly just because it's one of the longest breaks in the year, but I think there's something about the fact that everybody is kind of having a break. Or not everybody, mm-hmm. but society is kind of collectively at rest in a way that it's not usually, and there's something... Uh, there is something kind of weirdly peaceful about that.
0: I like uh, Christmas lights. I like Christmas music. I like uh, the shitty movies that are on TV every year. I like all of it. I, I like, like
2: to I like to be free of the, the toil of the content minds, if just for a
0: few days. I'll be going home to my parents, putting up my second Christmas tree of the year. So I'm excited about that. Do you have one in your apartment? I have one in my girlfriend's apartment. Oh, that that's nice. Said. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a proper grown up now. <laughs> I have two Christmas trees i mean christmas was more exciting uh when i was a younger man because you know time was slower then and when you pulled out the old decorations from last year it seemed like a big event it seemed like wow these are the things i only see at this time of year and now it kind of feels like oh yeah these are the things i see every time i'm home
2: Mm -hmm. i used to get ludicrously excited about christmas i remember times at age kind of I don't know, four, five, six, kind of that, that stretch of childhood where I would actually get so excited that I would run downstairs and it would turn out to be at four in the morning. And my parents would have to preemptively create rituals um, <laughs> to manage the fact that I wasn't able to sleep the full night So they would do things like give me permission to unwrap a specific present that would be like the 4 a.m. present if I Mm. really if I really couldn't help myself.
0: When you're a kid, your Christmas presents are are a significant percentage of the stuff you're going to get that year. Oh, yeah. So it means a lot. And like I would be excited for, you know, fully four months before Christmas. Oh, my God. Easily planning out, you know, what are the things I'm going to have this year? My parents
2: did figure out something pretty good, which was that they would always... Get me to open something that would be whatever the kind of Disney movie that year was, and then they very you know carefully suggest you know why don't you watch that, and then you could open the rest of your presents later, and then at the end of the day you would still have more presents, and that was genius because it prolonged Christmas Day for such a long time.
0: I have a different attitude. I liked to you know just demolish, yeah, demolish it, have it be this like enormous this climax, bounty. and then you like just for the rest of the day linger in the afterglow of. Of these presents and the good spirit.
2: Unfortunately, that goes away a bit when you're an adult and you can just sort of buy things. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> the- Spe- speaking of important conversations, have you ever looked at your Christmas tree and said, Why a Christmas tree? What does that have to do with our Lord and Savior? I've said it often. Uh, have you ever seen Santa in the mall and said, Why isn't it Jesus in the mall? Have you ever been at your your cool Christmas party with all your hip friends mm. uh, and you've been having your eggnog and you've been breakdancing and doing all the, you've been wearing your, your, your H and M sweater. You've been
2: slamming, uh, slamming along to a, an auto tune version of innick Chelsea's Deo.
0: You've been, you've been rapping. Yes, you've been rapping. Yeah. A- a- and, and you feel like God, you know, I love Christ. I love our Lord and Savior Christ. Why shouldn't I be happier on his holiday? Well, that's a dilemma that is at the heart of Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas, the film that we watched this week.
3: Do you ever feel like Christmas has been hijacked? Hey, uh, where's Christian? How's he doing? Is he okay? Oh, he's fine, really. He's He's just not into Christmas this year, that's all. By all the commercialism and those who want to replace Merry Christmas with happy holidays or season's greetings, whatever that means, you okay? This is not what Christmas is all about. Some want to pull down every manger scene and tell us why our favorite Christmas traditions are wrong. Newsflash, not in the Bible. That's a pagan idol symbol. It was the winter solstice. Jesus was not born in December. It's exactly what the Druids did. It's like a carjacking, but like of our religion. And guess what? Santa got in the car, kicked Jesus out, and was like rolling, 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 and took, and took it. Isn't it time somebody spoke up? Everything you see inside there? It's all about Christmas. It's all about
2: Jesus. Yeah, it's a film that sets out to put Christ back into Christmas and instead ends up proving that God is dead in our postmodern hellscape of a world.
0: I just want to point out that this was one of the very first films that we talked about on our uh, sister podcast, The Important Cinema Club. Um, but we were still kind of working out the bumps of the podcast at that time and we don't really talk about movies like this anymore in that podcast, we'd rather not we'd rather watch movies that we like on that podcast now it's like
2: Godard and Bergman yeah,
0: and and now we want to, and really it's this podcast that's kind of like the outlet for complaining (laughs) about garbage (laughs) Um, and you know, it's been three years since I've seen this film and Mm -hmm. yes, this is my second viewing of the film and um, it was exactly as I remembered it.
2: Will sold me on this one really quickly and he's like, oh, you're going to have such a great time. And then, you know, within 10 minutes, I was like, how did I let myself be talked into this? minutes. You were a bit minutes...
0: confused early on. Well, because <laughs> it
2: does have a very strange structure. Like, let's just... Let's just get out of the way what the the story is, because there's not much of a story. Well,
0: actually, I think first, maybe I should just provide a little context for who Kirk Cameron is. Yeah, I confess I did not know. Because I think that we need to put him on the record as just being somebody who who is like maybe in the outer limits of the Mike Linus cosmos. Kirk Cameron was a sitcom star, I think a child actor in the 80s. He was on the sitcom Growing Pains, I think, um, which I've never seen. And in his adulthood, he became, I want to say, like the Chris Pratt of conservative Christian fundamentalist cinema. He really... (laughs) Quite a thing to be. ...rose to prominence as the star of the Left Behind series. And I remember 10 years ago, he had a movie called Fireproof, which I've never seen it, but he played a firefighter who was struggling with his marriage. And it was all about, you know staying strong in your marriage vows and stuff. And it opened at something like number three at the box office and made, you know, I wanna say $35 million. Like, this is not obviously blockbuster business, but it was enough to make people sort of go, whoa, what the what the hell is this? And he's had this industry of conservative kitsch to the extent that he actually got his name in the title of this movie, Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. Although it's not actually directed by him. It's directed by somebody named Darren Doan, who's the co-star and whose other films include something called The Free Speech Apocalypse. Mussolini and me making the trains run on time. (laughs) We should just
2: say it's a, you know, it was kind of under the umbrella of Liberty University, whatever their like film division is or something. (laughs)
0: Liberty University (laughs) presents.
2: You can tell that uh, Kirk Cameron talked some like old decaying evangelical you know, uh, administrator into like, okay, we need to make Christ cool, and I'm the man to do
0: it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got 500 grand to make that happen. The movie it reminded me most of was Glen or Glenda, <coughs> because if you've seen Glen or Glenda, you'll recall that there are several different framing devices. Uh-huh. You've got Bela Lugosi sitting at the chair, and he's <coughs> in his Netherworlds going pull the string. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the cop who's talking to the psychiatrist. And only after all this do you get the the story. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this movie is like. It starts with Kirk Cameron in a chair.
2: Yeah, he's just sitting around drinking hot chocolate. And he's like, looks at the camera. Well, hi there. Uh, my <laughs> name's Kirk Cameron. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. The good cheer, whatever. He just kind of rants for a bit. And that's, uh, we learned very quickly there's a lot of padding in this movie. 79 minutes very little happens there are like three scenes or like three spaces within the diegesis of the movie like less than a 90s sitcom it's like there's this room where he's sitting around talking about how much he loves christmas there is a house where there's a christmas party happening and then there is a car parked outside the house where the majority of the movie takes place where uh and i guess we'll, we'll explain what happens in the car but basically kirk cameron talks about how he loves christmas Then he talks about how there's this vague kind of badly defined constituency who you know, maybe have a problem with Christmas. They have questions about it.
0: You know, there are those people who don't want your nativity in the in the and town. They, they think it's they think it's materialistic. They think the Christmas tree is a pagan symbol. Well, there are a couple of different subcategories. There are the people who who are just secular and don't want the holidays and are like, let's say Happy Holidays. Let's let's get this Merry Christmas business out of here. Don't say anything about Christmas. So they're in one category. They're irredeemable. Let's not even talk about them what we're addressing are the Christians who are just a little bit uneasy about certain elements of the holiday. Like, why is it all about presents? Mm-hmm. What, what's the deal with Santa Claus? Why aren't we talking about Christ? Mm-hmm. And one of these people is portrayed by Mr. Darren Doan, who stars as his brother-in-law. They meet at this
2: party, but where, where Darren Doan is sitting there thinking... Out loud in his head, it's not really clear about how, you know, what is what is this? Bah humbug. Somehow he ends up in in the car. He goes out and sulks in his, like, suburban SUV or something.
0: Nice house, by the
2: way. Yeah, big, big suburban house. All the people at the party, like, these are the Trump voters, you yes. know? And, yeah, so he's he's outside in his giant, you know, gas-guzzling SUV, and he's, be, he's being dejected about Christmas. And Kirk Cameron sits down next to him, and most of the film... Is kind of framed from this this sitting in the front seats of this this SUV, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna explain to you how Christmas is has actually everything to do with Christ." And what the film then does is is kind of through a series of extremely convoluted cutaways, erects what can only be described as a kind of completely contrived postmodern theology, connecting in granular detail things like the Christmas tree to the book of Genesis, and to kind of the Bible's foundational myths. Mm-hmm. Um, and this involves doing things like saying that, you know, the Bible begins with trees because God created everything, which and trees fall under the category of everything. Actually,
0: the tree is the body of Christ. <laughs> well, I think we should maybe give his arguments a little respect and, <laughs> and hone in on some of them. So you may be thinking, well, why is there a Christmas tree? I mean, you elucidated the first part of his argument quite well. You know, he (laughs) created trees. They're everywhere. Why not put them in your house? That's God. But remember in Genesis, I'm sure you're up on your Genesis. You'll recall that there was a tree of knowledge and you got your Adam and he he took the apple out of it and he ate from it. And that was a a big (laughs) no-no. Not cool. (laughs) Should not not have done that. And that was the original sin.
2: Uh I thought Eve ate the apple.
0: No, Eve tempted him.
2: Oh, right. Yeah.
0: So a couple thousand years later, Jesus himself came to earth to soak up all of the original sin that was in the earth to, to sacrifice himself for us. And he did that. Okay. so when you eat an apple, the apple becomes part of you until you shit it out but he he, he lied to that part. and they pretty much say that in the movie I mean <laughs> like that's implied yeah it's implied but the apple's part of you so you can't very well give it back all you can really do is put yourself back up on that tree uh huh which is exactly <laughs> and Christ did that what he, JC did he put himself up on a tree and you may be saying no he put himself up on a cross well what, are what is a cross is made, made of?
2: of so if he weighs the same as a duck then he's <laughs> made of wood <laughs> So it is kind of like a, a sort of QAnon type theology, like so many moves to get to, and that's just the tree. There's also an elaborate thing about Santa, which I think I'm al- is already kind of slipping away from me. Well,
0: the Santa thing. <laughs> so Santa wasn't in the Bible, but but Santa is based on, I guess, an actual historical figure. If anyone knows who the real figure was, please write down and let us know. In early Christianity, there were certain priests who were out there saying that Christ was not actually divine. And the original Saint Nicholas was kind of an enforcer who re- who went around beating the shit out of people, and he didn't care about political correctness. Kirk Cameron the, actually the said movie that. says that. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't care about political correctness. He was going around <laughs> just just fucking. Uh, Beating up and killing people It's great
2: because you see like this movie is obviously Extremely low rent so there's just like some Some tubby guy in a pub Who's sitting there and he's he's spreading Like heathen words about the gospel Of Christ and St. Nick St. Nick just comes along with a staff And beats the shit out of him He smites people with both words And deeds
0: as the director puts it so he was he was super badass. He was really cool. But in addition to being an enforcer and a bit of a fascist, if I may say, St. Nicholas also loved giving presents to the children. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Santa comes from. And by the way, St. Nicholas is somebody who we can learn a lot from these days because, you know, the issues that he faced are still out there. There are people out there saying that Christ is not divine. In fact, there are people out there with their own religious ideas. Let's call it a creeping sharia if you will and there are times when like we're at war and and it's time to take up arms it's time to take up your giant life-sized candy cane and just fucking you have fucking to kill smite, smite people literally kill people not with just
2: it. with words but with deeds
0: now creeping sharia is not actually sad but i think that's the implication that is very
2: much is the implication this is all being told through these kind of I don't know, flashbacks, cutaways, (laughs) as Kirk Cameron sits in like a dark car with his brother, or his brother-in-law, and just tells him all about how Christ is integral to Christmas. I mean, it's right there, it's right there in the title.
0: Oh, and fuck, I love these conversations because these guys are supposed to be really cool, like they're dressed sort of cool and they talk. they they keep saying dude they talk to each other as if they're judd apatow characters Uh like they're riffing a lot there's one part where the brother-in-law is just like oh my god i'm that guy i can't believe i'm that guy or there's another part where kirk cameron says man you've drank the kool-aid (laughs) <laughs> like they're picking up like just just slang that they've heard and uh-huh. that they think cool people would say new age neologisms yeah
2: well this is and this gets to what i actually hate about i mean apart from the fact that it's just fucking terrible crap low-right garbage but <laughs> there's
0: like literally nothing good about it there's
2: nothing it sucks but uh <laughs> and you know and then by the way then the end of the movie is they go back to the party and they have a good time and they dance to some auto-tune bullshit of like Some religious music and stuff but all of this ties into what i wanted to say which is the problem with this movie and the problem with this type of christianity in general is the whole thing posits itself as like this is a defense of tradition right we have our traditions and you know here they are invoking some of the foundational ideas in the western canon but then they're just arbitrarily remaking them to resolve some kind of like You know, concern, some basically marketing concern that the operatics at this church, you know, have about like certain people among the flock are like not sufficiently materialistic in their attitude towards Christmas. Mm -hmm. Their conception of Christmas is not capitalist enough. Right. The film Mm -hmm. ends with this whole thing about how like (laughs) the, the film ends with this whole thing about like and you know as we sit around the table you know with our most expensive plates and our and our most exp- and our shiniest silver cutlery and we stuff ourselves
0: full with the bounty of christ and we we empty our wallets at the mall and we you know and he actually says and don't worry about it being too consumerist. Uh-huh. Do you remember the part where he sees the presents? And- he looks over at the, <laughs> the, the presence by the tree.
2: And then the film draws a cityscape on top of the presence. Yes. And then, and then he says, now imagine a city. What's in the center of every city? A tree.
0: <laughs> wow. It all comes together. Oh, he had another whole argument that I had a little trouble keeping track of where i think it was talking about the presence of the season where it's like christ when he was born he had a blanket around him and then also when he died they had they had a cloth a blanket like cloth around him and that this unified the bible story in some way which i thought was a big stretch (laughs) (laughs) and then that cloth appears later on like you need your glenn beck blackboard to keep track of all the connections he's making And i am a little curious like is there any you know scholarly theological precedent for anything he's saying no this stuff about the trees does anybody said this, this is what before? this is what i'm saying like yeah. like this is a type of
2: christianity which is like you know in the mo- in this modern heathen secular age like mm-hmm. we're your only defense we're the we're we're keeping the truth alive and it's like It's the most postmodern hyper capitalist bullshit ever. It's just like buy things. We're going to arbitrarily rewrite our own philosophy as needed. We're not going to sit around and sing nice Christmas music that's existed for hundreds of years and actually kind of tie ourselves to like a tradition that, you know, like we're not going to have anything in common with people that were alive in the 12th century that were also keeping these traditions alive. No, no, no. We're going to add some auto tune and
0: like beatbox to this shit. Because you remember at the end, he says something like, you, you know, we need to be proud of Christmas, and we need to create traditions, and we need to create our new traditions. He's talking about, like, one of the central traditions. Right. A holiday that has so many traditions already around mm.
2: it. It actually kind of recalls to me this awful column David Brooks wrote this week about uh, the demise of the Weekly Standard. Did you see that? I mean, I heard about it. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> there's kind of an analogous problem in, in that column, and I feel like both both of these artifacts say something... About the incredibly stupid philosophy that is modern conservatism, uh, for people that didn't see it, which I'm assuming is most of you, because I I hope I hope you have better things to do, especially this time of year, than read David David fucking Brooks columns. But basically, you know, the Weekly Standard died. David Brooks, along with like such other great minds as Tucker Carlson, <laughs> you know, and and uh, Sir William Crystal you know, kind of launched with uh, the Weekly Standard or or at least wrote for it at one point. And Brooks basically wrote this column where he's complaining that, you know, these billionaires that were backing the Weekly Standard, um, or maybe it's one billionaire, I can't remember, you know, uh, they don't have good taste. And, Mm -hmm. and And they took it in this direction where it was trying to be broad and it was trying to, you know, Um, It was trying to actually have mass appeal rather than being this, like, niche journal of, like, bow tie spinning conservative dweebs who are angry about, you know, the the latest, you know, Disney movie doesn't, you know, display martial values strongly enough or whatever the thing is. Um, But basically, you know, here's David Brooks, an ardent proponent and exponent of, you know, capitalist orthodoxy complaining that you know the billionaire class ruined this this magazine that that it was they were only keeping alive through their patronage anyway imagine what david brooks would write if instead of the weekly standard we were talking about the demise of like an auto plant in michigan he'd be like Mm -hmm. well um you know these these uh these unionized workers they just Mm -hmm. don't understand the modern age yeah right and and this this movie has exactly the same You see this in secular conservatism, you see it in religious conservatism. The core problem is these people, they want to believe in capitalism, but they also want to believe that under capitalism there's this sphere of nobility that can kind of be preserved where uh, great minds can be free to write penetrating insights about creeping Sharia at, you know, Comcast and Disney and uh, complain about political correctness on campus big capital just had to come along and ruin it mm-hmm. and this movie is kind of the same the same thing and, and it's this type of Christianity that it's channeling where it's kind of like where yeah we're your only defense against the you know vicissitudes of modernity that want to make everything you know relativistic and w- everything about it I mean, down to the fact they're just rewriting scripture basically <laughs> the shitty music that's like worse than the crap you hear in like big box stores when you do your obligatory Christmas shopping. All of it, you know, it is, it is as pedantic and as kind of didactic as any of the kind of politically correct, you know, quote unquote SJW stuff that these people spend all the time complaining about is contending to be. You know a critique of cultural decadence and yet is the ultimate superlative expression of it
0: well that's your opinion i mean i watched this movie and i took a lot of comfort on the film i spend a lot of money at the christmas season you know i buy presents for my family for myself i go down to the dog track i spend a lot of money there you know i go on to the internet and i spend more money there playing online poker i go to the racetrack i spend more money there I'm deeply in debt is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And what this movie tells me is it's okay to be deeply in debt. It's okay to spend your money everywhere. It's okay to not have a savings account. It's okay to have a bookie on your tracks. It's okay to be at the end of your rope. It's okay
2: to have squandered all of your money in cryptocurrency futures.
0: What's great about cryptocurrency is regular currency isn't gonna work for me. But if we create an imaginary
3: (laughs) currency... But have you noticed There's some people who would love to put a big wet blanket on all of this. They don't want us to love Christmas so much and celebrate it the way we do. There's this one group over here that says, hey, if you wanna sing your songs and do your stuff at Christmas time, that's fine, but tone it down, don't sing so loud, right? Just, you take your private stuff and you just, Keep it in your house. Don't let it spill out into the public and bother the rest of us. Just keep it tucked in and private. And then there's this other group over here who's, who's actually on the inside, who's, who's telling us, you know, everything you're doing, all this stuff, the images, the, the characters, the traditions, it's all wrong. It has nothing to do with Christmas. As a matter of fact, you should just take all of that, wrap it up and throw it out the door because it's all bad.
0: The movie's a bit like us though, you know, it's just two cool guys, you know, hanging out, you know, chatting about the issues. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a marketplace of ideas. <laughs> you go into your, your cool house and you're surrounded by your cool relatives. There are people of many different races there because of course, you know, we're not racist. Just because you're conservative,
2: just because you're conservative, doesn't and you mean, vote yeah. for Donald Trump and you donate to the GoFundMe for the wall, does that not mean you are racist. Doesn't
0: mean you're racist. In fact, there are two black Republicans at the party with you, and they rap. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually low key my favorite scene. It was of the great, film. <laughs> uh, Luke. You had an article this week that I really liked for Jacobin magazine. And, and I, I don't say that lightly because normally, you know, your work, it's not my cup of tea.
2: <laughs> well, I appreciated that you, you know, you indicated to your, your Twitter following that, that, you know, while you don't like me personally, you, you were forced to respect my prose.
0: It's a strictly business relationship. <laughs> but you wrote, wrote about your own, you know, coming of age as a leftist. And I think that you articulated something in the article that I think is an experience shared by many, but too seldom articulated which is the disappointed promise of the Obama years and how it sort of pushed you further left. Do you want to talk about it?
2: The article is called Liberalism in Theory and Practice um, over at Jacobin, if people haven't seen it.
0: But I was careful not, I don't want to
2: overstate the significance of the Obama thing specifically, although that is how the article opens, you know. And I mean, I, I was very careful to talk about the actual reasons I'm a socialist, which are, uh, which are actually pretty straightforward moral reasons, but in thinking about because you want to look cool, <laughs> that's right because it's I, trendy, right? Because now. the coolest thing is to be really earnest about about your commitment to egalitarianism.
0: I'm excited for when Beto is president, <laughs> so then you know I can kind of turn off again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but I mean, I was thinking about you know what what were kind of the stimuli for my politicization, and I mean, so much of it really has been you know watching how liberals have responded to things. I mean, both throughout kind of a lot of the, 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 the periods we've discussed on our show in kind of the early 2000s, you know, post 9-11, but I mean also post the, uh, the economic crisis in 2008. It's kind of again and again seeing uh, the ways in which figures like Justin Trudeau Barack Obama, now Emmanuel Macron, who I wish I'd spoken a little more about in the article, you know, Nick Clegg, who is another another figure for with whom I was I was briefly quite, you know, I was emotionally invested in his campaign back in 2010, which is not that long ago, you know. Watching kind of these figures triangulate and watching kind of the whole lumbering apparatus that is liberalism, both kind of politically and culturally, watching it kind of respond in so many contradictory ways to events and seeing how quickly the script can just flip, you know, according to events and and really feeling like there was no deeper value system at work except for ultimately the worship of markets and mm-hmm. uh, attempts to legitimize particular types of power and attempts to shield those types of power from, from criticism, even when the criticism is very pointed and pointing out you know, extremely obvious uh, problems and, and hypocrisies.
0: In the article, you talk about how sort of swept up you were, as I think a lot of us were in the Obama moment. Oh yeah, it's embarrassing to write, but... I feel like at that time, a lot of us... Obama's candidacy in 2008 was sort of at the outer limits for what we could reasonably expect American politics to be
2: or at the time I mean I mean this wasn't just a sort of uh, what seemed like a kind of liberal Democrat progressive Democrat uh, running for the presidency it seemed to be somebody who had I mean we make fun of it rightly but that stupid passage that as recline wrote about you know how uh, back in 2008 about how you know Obama's speeches in you in a higher moment or whatever. Mm. I mean, he really, he understood, he had a way of embedding himself in the popular consciousness and making himself seem like a kind of trans-historical actor. The, the sheer power of that compared to, say, you know, somebody like Bill Clinton, who's another kind of preternaturally gifted politician, at least just when it comes to retail politics, you know, Obama had this kind of quasi-theological uh, character And the contrast between that narrative and where the Obama presidency ended up, which was just within, you know, literally within a few weeks of being sworn in, reassuring David Brooks that we fully accept the Reagan consensus, we're committed to cutting health care spend, and we'd actually quite like to privatize Social Security. You know, and to just the the former president now is just getting ex- extremely rich, giving speeches to banks. I mean, I, I don't... Even if you are not a, a socialist, I don't know. I think it takes really quite willful ignorance and self-delusion to not see what the, the problem with this is. And I think what, what we've really seen um, in American politics is a, is a fracture among people who were sold on this in 2008. And some people, I hope... You know, the majority of people, especially the majority of young people, look at it and conclude that, um, well, what we need is an actually radical politics that's mm-hmm. programmatic and committed to making real material advances and in, 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 for everybody and for deepening democracy. But then some people, um, particularly those that are closer, I think, to the you know, traditional centers of centers of power, their attitude is, well, this was actually great. And um, what we need to do is we need to recreate it. And that's why they're, that's, I mean, those folks in the Obama alumni network, right, Mm -hmm. who are trying to make the Beto O'Rourke thing happen and saying how much he reminds them of Obama. I mean, I think we should take them at their word. I mean, when they say he reminds us of Obama, what they mean is, our project is to recreate probably less well because Beto O'Rourke is no Barack Obama in terms of his political skills. Let's just recreate that kind of ephemeral sense of excitement and get mm-hmm. people, really jazzed about traditional political institutions and their ability to not do anything particular but just make us make us feel good about ourselves like that is the project and we should take them seriously about that
0: that martin luther king line that obama was so fond of quoting the arc of history is long but bends towards progress is very comforting not only for the progress but for the fact that it's long the Mm -hmm. fact that it like it'll happen without you thinking Yeah, i mean
2: the arc the arc of history is long but it bends towards getting paid five hundred thousand dollars an hour by goldman sachs to give a speech about Mm -hmm. you know american leadership in a fractious world or whatever in
0: in 2008 (laughs) did, did you identify as a socialist at that time did you have sort of the Political vocabulary To create that identity For yourself?
2: Not really I mean I definitely Considered myself On the left I considered myself On the left As a teenager mm-hmm. I probably
0: considered Myself on the left right. I mean, As everybody a teenager thinks, But what was the left? Right yeah. I mean
2: everyone Thinks of themselves On the left As a teenager Unless they're a libertarian Or whatever <laughs> but Then even then I knew Unless liber- you
0: consciously Try to not be on the yeah, left Yeah <laughs> basically
2: I mean I don't know How I would have Described myself The word socialism Would have had a Positive connotation to me I might have Intermittently described myself as such i don't remember it
0: probably wouldn't for me it probably would have just been i would probably would have linked it with like this the soviet union of course, or something right. it's like oh it's it's communism basically and it's dead
2: yeah and i mean I, I think that for me what i would not have understood at all at the time which is something that through a combination of experience and learning i've really been able to clarify since which is the difference between the liberal tradition and the socialist tradition mm-hmm. you know which i'm actually able to articulate now yeah um There's a lot of people that, that, you know, for example, understand the Canadian political spectrum. I mean, this sounds so dumb to say out loud, but people really think this, right? Canada has two socialist parties, the Liberals and the New Democratic Party. And the New Democratic Party is just more socialist than the Liberals. But the Liberals are still socialist right people think that Mm -hmm. they and they think that canada is already a socialist society (laughs) right right? like this is why we can't get anything done here is because people think we're some kind of post-racial scandinavia or something (laughs) um and we already have this huge welfare state and stuff like that um but yeah a lot of that comes down to people not really understand to people having kind of politics that's very similar to politics i had at age kind of 17 where i just thought liberalism was kind of a you know uh you know it was just kind of on the left but like Mm -hmm. not quite as much or something
0: well folks now i'm talking to the conservatives in the room you'll often hear your lib opponents saying that jesus was a socialist folks it's not true because think about this in matthew when he's born the three wise men come and give him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh each of these gifts are things that he gets to own they don't get redistributed to anyone. <laughs> now, flash forward, he gets put up on the cross. He gets fed sour wine. The cross, the sour wine, they're both his. He doesn't have to share them. The tomb, it's his. He doesn't have to share it. Doesn't it all click into focus now?
2: Well, I had it all wrong. I, I love Christmas
0: now. I can't wait. Now watch this drive. Who's got a beard that's long and white? going has got a beard that's long and
4: white? Who comes around on special night? Sun comes around on special night? Special night, beard that's white. Must be Santa, must be Santa, must be Santa, Santa Claus. Who wears boots and suit of red? Santa wears boots and suit of red. Who wears a long cap on his head? Santa wears a long cap on his head. Cap, cap on his suit of red. Special sure. night, beard yeah, that's white. Must be Santa, must be Santa, must be Santa, Santa Claus. Big red cherry nose. Santa's got a big red cherry nose. Who oh, laughs this way? Ho ho ho! This way. Ho ho ho! Ho ho ho! Cherry nose. get we it, to Special night. is yeah, that's right. Santa very soon will come. I smell Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon That's your dancer, dancer, dancer Branson, Nixon Carter, Reagan, Bush and Clinton When you're come my way Oh, ho oh, ho, cherry nose, cap on head Suit that yeah, that's red, special night, beard that's white must be Santa must be Santa must be Santa, Busby Santa.